You're listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> Society 13 Podcast Network Redefining Podcasts Society-13.com I like to listen Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode number 718 of the Wicked Library. A special thank you to today's narrator, David Alt, who's making his Wicked Library debut today. David is frequently featured on the No Sleep podcast. You may have also heard him on The Lift before, and he lent his voice to today's story on the Wicked Library. David is very talented, a great voice, and you're really going to enjoy his work. As always, before we get started today, a big thank you to our new Patreon supporters. Since our last show, we've gotten two new supporters, Paul Schwarz and Jay Casey. Our patrons do get a completely ad-free show and other great rewards. Plus, they help keep the show coming for all of our listeners. A wicked amount of time and love goes into making the show, so your support lets us know you appreciate the effort. Thank you. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. And if you support the show at the $5 a month and above level, we started adding an extra story each month. You'll get to hear those before anyone else. Those stories will eventually be heard here on a quarterly basis so that our authors get the benefits of having our entire audience hear them. But who wants to wait to get extra wicked? Finally, a big thank you to the one person who took the time to rate and review us on iTunes. Come on, folks. More reviews. Seriously, though, we do appreciate everybody who takes the time to rate and review the show even if it's just one of you, but there's a lot of you who listen, so we certainly like to hear from you. It helps other people find the show. Our latest review came from the United Kingdom from Team Squirrel Forever. Subject, Squirrel. I love this podcast. So well made, and I even like the interviews, especially her sexy laugh. I really want to say something bad so I can get the crybaby sound, but I just can't. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. And hey, if you enjoy the interviews at the end of the show, check out the Ninth Story podcast with Jeanette and Alexander for even more interviews and discussions with storytellers of all types, including some of the voices you've been hearing on this show. 
You can find that show at podcast.ninthstory.com. It's the first podcast that I created, and I handed it over to Jeanette and Alexander at the beginning of season five so I could focus more time on the Wicked Library and the Lift, writing, and other things. They're doing an amazing job with the show, and they've had some really great interviews. So check it out. I'm sure you'll like it. And never let it be said that we don't aim to please here on the Wicked Library. I'd much rather reward someone who wants to hear the crybaby sound who took the time to give us a great review than somebody who gave us a not-so-great review. So for you, here is something special. I like to call this little piece Baby Loves Death Metal. You want more, baby? All right, eh? Here you are. Sorry, baby. It's time to get on to the stories now. Roses are red, violets are blue. If you can't take horror stories, this podcast is not for you! (laughs) I'm a poet and didn't even know it. Listen to discretion is advised. Hello, kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I'm your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of, yet. Hold on to yourselves, worlds and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Idle Hands by Kelly Perkins I let out an unrepentant guffaw. Other theatre-goers stare, especially when they realise I've attended tonight's performance of Wicked solo. Or maybe it's the dark glasses. My suit, slick and red and yet somehow subtle, tailored to fit and accented by a flash of black poplin from here and there as the evening breeze tugs at my suit jacket. Either way, I can't help myself. A wicked spectacle indeed, as much an indictment of the state of the world today and dirty politics as it is a heartwarming tale of female empowerment. Like Snowden or that Assange fellow, vilified by the real villains for exposing their villainy. A story with which I am intimately, painfully familiar. I pick a girl out of the crowd. Not the glitzy glam of the people who turn up at the theatre just to show how cultured they are, how perfectly their contoured makeup and filled-in eyebrows conceals how truly ordinary they are. No. Someone who came here because they love art and wanted to know the story. 
I can always find the type like a sorrow-seeking missile, so entrenched in her war with her own demons she doesn't even scream when its narrow face, wan and featureless, appears over her shoulder in the bathroom mirror of a morning. A blue smudge on the periphery of her vision as she brushes her teeth, fixes her hair, puts on her makeup. The spindly figure shuffles out after her, a chill on her shoulders as she dresses for work, that follows her out her door, holds her hand as she crosses a busy street, hangs over her like the not-so-proverbial black cloud even on a sunny day. She wears her pain like a halo, hides behind bangs and the crescendo of emotion flowing through her earbuds. I lose her in the crowd, a sea of faces wan and featureless, to which she will hereby be relegated day after day, no one really knowing her pain. Continually told to suck it up, buttercup, or to smile more, it's not that bad, without any idea or care to what she is enduring at all. If anyone faced their eventual oblivion as head-on as the addicts and artists of the world, as the bullied, broken, and scarred do, people might be less inclined to be so smug, to smile down upturned noses from such lofty equine. Because they want to turn away from the abyss, but they can't, it yawns all around them in the cold judgment of the guilty in the dirty dealings between politicians without even a passing thought to those they govern. The demons in the dark corners of every human being, scraping away at their sanity like the edge of the gambler's last dime on a scratch-off ticket. And if she knows anything for certain, she knows she will always be treated differently in an indifferent world. Whether she is abused or coddled, it will be because she is a woman and nothing else. And perhaps most cruel of all, the only thing more certain than death and taxes is entropy. And in true entropic fashion, the bouquet of expensive perfumes is replaced by the smell of the street, the night taking on the distinctive notes of diesel exhaust and urban decay. Not to say it's wholly unpleasant. It's not without its charms. The saxophonist on the corner, the jingle-jangle of change haphazardly slung into the instrument's case. I offer my two cents, so to speak, a nod and a couple of bills big enough to startle a sour note or two out of the woodwind. I nod again and wink, a bit of crow's feet at the corner of my dark glasses so he gets the point, and I walk away whistling along until he finds his tune again. An hour or two later, and I'm circling the same, now quiet corner, when I run into another tribe of artistes, several teenagers with clothes and makeup so black I'm transported back to a time when bondage pants and guyliner were as common as Doc Martin's was a household name. Dude, one of them says, sick suit. I turn and grin, tipping my glasses down to reveal fiery brimstone eyes. Thanks. The bulk of them break into a sprint, one or two hanging back to stare as their friends grab and tear at them to come along. Whoa, a different guy says just before he's wrenched down the street and across the next crosswalk. Respectful lads for such rebels to society. <laughs> Humans. Funny creatures, so divided and yet so much the same, driven by unseen forces, desire and whim, curiosity more fatal than what killed the cat. 
benignly malignant, as soon to hug you as hate you. Always afraid of that which they cannot readily explain or understand. But such an onward and upward spirit, in spite, or perhaps because, of their ephemeral nature. Societies have risen and fallen, been built, destroyed, and built atop the ruins of more than man cares to count, some civilizations still dead, buried, and yet to be discovered. But what time does man have to look back when he must ever move forward? That bug is disgusting. Stomp it. That tree is blocking my view. Mow it down. Those people are in my way. Kill them. <sighs> okay, well, social progression was never mankind's forte. Convenience is the true mother of invention, not necessity. You don't need toilet paper or globalization, but it sure makes everything much more convenient. For all that drive, ease, seems to be the ultimate goal. Simplicity. Efficiency. Results. Take this guy, for instance. This guy could have been a killer. A corporate killer. Not that he's any less cutthroat. He's just much more literal about it than most. Tonight, maybe it will be a sex worker. Someone society has already thrown away. What they call the less dead. Not even a blip on the radar of police priorities. At least not until he gets sloppy. Take somebody who has money, or maybe even somebody's money, and God help him if it's the government's. Until then, he will walk amongst the unwitting, brush past you on the street. Maybe he'll even say, excuse me. Maybe he won't. But it sure makes you think twice about calling him out on it, doesn't it? Times may change, but people never do. They still burn witches, even if that happens by media fire. Rape and kill and put the victims on trial. Anything for progress and plausible deniability. My phone buzzes in my pocket. I take it out and roll my eyes at the screen, a soft, Are you serious right now? slipping past my lips. I repocket the phone and survey my surroundings. I can just make out the smoky white figure peering down at me from the roof of the building to my right. Suit a contrast of yellow streetlights and shadows ominous among the gargoyles guarding the perimeter. I sigh, seeking a dark corner to spring from. Big black wings unfurl, understated beneath this mortal cloak, and propel me upward, only stopping when I'm face to face with the stony dog-like maw of a bulky bat-winged beast. Wings tucked and hidden beneath my garb, I stretch my hand out to meet the one of the man dressed in white, much less subtle than I with his gold-ringed fingers lingering as if awaiting a kiss. I cock a knowing brow and he pulls his clammy palm away while I wipe mine on my jacket and pocket it along with the other. You're worse for wear, I say. Yeah, yeah. He waves a dismissive hand. He looks a bit like Colonel Sanders, only bald and sans the silly tie. A little worse every time you see me. He coughs. <coughs> Get your eyes checked. At least I'm not a walking cliché, channeling your inner Gary Oldman. I look him up and down. <laughs> Aren't you? And what's Gary Oldman got to do with anything? You know, Dracula. Ah, yes. From the film with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. I see where he gets it, the hair, the goatee, although searching my memory of Drac's on-screen attire, I find myself jealous of his period dress and lacking a top hat. 
I give an obligatory nod and chuckle anyway. Seems a little sinister, I say, idly flapping the sides of my suit jacket like mock wings, hands still in my pockets. The movie? Spying from the rooftop. Ah. Here comes that dismissive hand wave. Sinister. That's more your department. Oh, I don't know. I hop down from the ledge to his level on the roof proper. You know what they say? History is written by the winners and all that. Ah, you've always been too sensitive. He always sounds like he's drunk. As well he should be. I have to wonder momentarily why I'm not. Perhaps if it was a less relatable show, I might have been compelled to pound down some crown, or maybe even a less rhymable drink. Still, you can't deny that you've done better than I, at least in the court of public opinion. Not that I ever cared much for popularity contests. I sigh, studying my shiny black nails. Makes little room for an intellectual like myself. Just enough to shake my head and palm my face in embarrassment. Oh, will you come off it already? All I'm saying is, although this little push-pull thing we have is good, it satisfies their sense of justice, it could have been another way. Illumination without all the self-flagellation. Enlightenment? Oh, Jesus Christ, are you ever the martyr? Did you say something, Dad? Asks a shaggy silhouette from the doorway leading up to the roof. His voice is young, but his story is old. Not you, the old man barks. I thought I said to stay in the car. Sorry, Dad. Anyway, where were we? I shuffle my feet. I think you and I were about to place a little wager. Dull eyes gain a twinkle in the light pollution. Oh, his mouth forms the sound with a smile I haven't seen in eons. Yeah, and I think this time I have a decent chance of besting you. Really? That smile broadens. Yeah, and no dirty pool this time. I haven't forgotten that mess during the Renaissance. All that art, or should I say propaganda, turned me into a walking pariah. Gave you, and them, a clearly marked adversary. Ah, now you know I wasn't responsible for that. They did that, he says, pointing at the city as if it is the guilty party. They do what they want. Free will, I nod with a knowing smirk. It's like anything, once the press gets a hold of it, uh, heaven help you. He slides a hand down his haggard face as if to set his features straight. Right. Still, I shift, stroking my beard, it makes one wonder. What? In a scenario where one being seeks to share the knowledge another forbids, who is the real villain? For someone so smart, you really don't get it, do you? It was not just the tree of knowledge, it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It could have been perfect and you went and mucked it up. Hey, it was you who dangled the fruit in front of them, not me. It's like showing someone the button that they must never, ever push. The temptation is already there. How is that fair? And it's not like anybody can really be kept from the darkness in the world. It's already there. If you're not looking into the abyss, the abyss is looking at you. Besides, how does one measure perfection without some leering spectre sitting at the other end of the spectrum? 
I believe you mentioned a wager. He never likes discussing our history. As is often the case with the truth, it gets reinterpreted and then misinterpreted, and that translates to how we remember things too. One rarely casts oneself as the villain of their own story. Right. I wet my lips to waste some time. I'll pose you with certain scenarios. You and I will make guesses as to what we think will happen. Whoever makes the majority best guesses wins. And how, pray tell, do we test these scenarios? I motion to the city with a smile and a dramatic flourish of my hand. Okay, he nods. And what's the prize? Well, one of us is right and the other is wrong. His face twists as though the fruit he thought to be sweet soured on his tongue. That's not much of a prize. Big things come in small packages, I tell him, and he sneers. You and the cliches. He lowers his shaking head as if embarrassed for me. They become cliche because they're true. Now come on, I stretch a hand out to him. What do you say, you game? He sighs and shakes my hand. Game. Now these scenarios, patience, old man, I say, scanning the cityscape around us, the yawning chasm of people and progress that threatens to swallow us and our humble perch whole. My shaded eyes capture a squat form laden with a heavy sweater, furry hat, and a positively mammoth knockoff handbag half as big as she is. <laughs> if there was ever a target. Ah, perfect. A young man in a leather jacket and jeans steps up behind the old woman at the crosswalk, his youth and tousled hair illuminated by the screen on his phone. I point, trying to disguise my smile, but the old man could always see right through me. So what, he's gonna rob the old lady? Not exactly, I say as the little man appears on the crossing sign. They commence crossing the street, the little old lady toddling ahead of the kid, who never once looks up from his phone. Not even when she stumbles and almost takes a swan dive in the middle of the street. Finally, the kid passes her without so much as an upward glance. She steadies herself and finishes crossing, and I turn to my colleague, Victorious. He looks at me with a deep crease between his bushy white brows and one corner of his mouth drawn up in incredulity. What was that? Before I can answer, indistinct yelling from the other side of the building turns both our heads. I'm quicker to investigate than he is, drawing my jacket closed in the cooling night air. It catches in the fabric of the woman's virgin white nightgown as she braces herself in the frame of a tall window. A small crowd has gathered beneath her, I can hear laughing and unintelligible shouts and conversation, as well as a clear cry of jump. We've got a jumper, I say flatly as my companion squints beside me. She'll be saved, he assures me. One of those kids down there has probably already called for help. Uh, They're taking the Van Halen approach. She'll hit the pavement before help arrives. Is that a bet? A bet? (laughs) Shit, it's an inevitability. Just look at her. And judging by the sound of her choked sobs and muted wailing, she doesn't have long. My back twitches involuntarily, wings bursting to spread and soar to her rescue. 
But if either one of us were to help one poor soul, we'd have to interfere with everyone, and contrary to popular belief, that is just not the way things work. There's muffled pounding and the sound of splintering wood, and a man in police garb appears in the window frame. There's a brief exchange before she falls into his arms and both disappear from view, another officer promptly heaving the large window closed. Smugness doesn't look good on anybody, but it's especially ugly on him. Okay, I say, shuffling and searching the tightly packed city block until I catch just the faintest aura of neon from an unexplored hollow. A few quick steps, leaps of faith to a mortal man, and I'm perched above Spanky's, a dive bar purging itself of a rather troublesome-looking patron. Never mind that it's late at night and she's alone. She's had one or two or three too many and said something shitty to the bartender. She's pleading with the bouncer to at least call her a cab. He threatens to call the police on her drunken disorderly ass and she promptly shuts her mouth. The door bangs behind him as he's safe back inside and the woman, not old but not young, blonde, tastefully clad in a jacket and casual skirt, is left with the shoe he tossed out after her and her raccoon eyes from crying. Cinderella picks up the shoe and does a little wobbly hop while she fumbles to fit it back onto her naked foot. My companion arrives just as a familiar man walks up to the lady, our perch too far to hear what he has to say, but I know all the words anyway. He's the same guy as before, our American psycho isn't as handsome and rich as Patrick Bateman, but he is brutally successful at what he does. My back muscles twitch under my shirt and whatever semblance of a heart beats in this cold, dead soul quickens. You're as white as the Holy Ghost, what gives? I... I I don't think I want to play anymore, I manage, past the lump solidifying in my throat. Like I've swallowed a boulder. We're dead even, you can't quit now. Okay... He still wants to play, we'll play, but the clock is ticking. Squint down there, old man, and tell me what you see. He raises his glasses and squints downward. He lets the old-fashioned frames drop to his nose with a soft sigh. Oh, dear. Calamity Jane there has just broken the surface of an all-consuming, cloying bog of a relationship... Her friends thoroughly alienated by the systemic isolation exerted on her by her partner, she had little choice but to blow off steam by herself. She got a little too drunk and stayed a little too long, I say, and the neon sign buzzing above the lady and her unfortunate companion flickers to darkness, becoming silent. A police siren sounds too distant and preoccupied to help her now. And besides, he looks like a decent, trustworthy fella. Even a little handsome, he's just concerned for the poor woman, left alone on a dark night without all her faculties. However will she get home? She hesitates when he says his car is parked nearby. It's no trouble, really. Let him take her home. And my chest unclenches briefly before she takes the outstretched offer of help, and they continue down the street together. I follow along the rooftops, my back muscles twitching painfully, my companion, however reluctant, in slow yet steady pursuit. It's not long before I see a parking garage into which our quarry disappears. We stand on the roof of the squat building across the street, its purpose and occupants inconsequential to my itching shoulder blades. 
She will be the last good kill, I say to no one in particular. She won't go unnoticed like the others. Sure, they'll suspect the ex for a while. She will be the last good kill, he continues for me, but the first to catch the light. And all we have to do is stand here and let it happen, I say, and shake my head. Like so many times, we've mutually worn out our respective welcomes, and I feel the call of the night air somewhere else. Anywhere else but here. Where are you going? He starts. We haven't settled up yet. That's because nobody won, I say without turning. So that's it. You just don't care. At this, I do turn. You don't get it, do you? He looks at me with a startled stare of a bewildered old man, pale blue eyes wide behind his dated spectacles. Probably didn't help that I punctuated each razor-sharp syllable with a firm, multi-fingered poke to his chest. And for a moment I feel sorry for him, but just for a moment. You don't get it, do you? Easier to just throw your hands up, turn away, and not think about it. Just like the rest of these mealy-mouthed observers who only do when it's to their personal benefit. We... we are surplus, useless in a world where men write their own doctrines. There is silence, and in that silence the brief meaty sound across the distance of a human body hitting something or something hitting a human body. She's either dead or unconscious, and either way she is fucked, and there is nothing either of us can do that won't undo his undoing. I hang my head and lower it as the dragging sounds echo through the abandoned parking garage, too loud for us not to hear in our perfect ears. He understands, even if only a little, and likewise lowers his head, nodding, one hand in his pocket, the other clutching an old-timey pocket watch. I scratch the back of my head and sigh. It's time for me to go, but first... You know, I didn't want to be right, but you had to know, I say, at last stretching my aching winds. What does the world need with evil when it has so much apathy? Oh, it's not that easy to leave the Wicked Library. There's still an interview with the author. But first, this. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey there. Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com.
You've tried washing it off, rubbing, scraping, scratching, and sanding it off. You've even tried grinding, cutting, and burning it off. But still it remains. It's zombie skin. So far into your own eyes, you wonder, are you still fully human? Or have you become the contamination? Whether you're struggling with cold sores, eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, chronic rash, or any of the endless ailments we all wish never happened, the antidote is the truly endless repair. Head over to zombielips.squarespace.com to buy the antidote. Become human again. Get yours today. Welcome to the Wicked Library, Kelly Perkins. I'm delighted to be here. And for those of you who may not know my voice, I am Jeanette Andromeda from HorrorMade.com, and today we are talking to the author from Idle Hands, the story you just listened to. So Kelly, for everyone who is new to you, can you tell us a little bit more about your work and your written work and you in particular? Well, um, this is my big debut being on the Wicked Library. As I was just saying um, in our little uh, pre-interview portion, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I started listening to the Wicked Library over the summer uh, at my job, actually, because it's long, uh, lonely hours. and. I had an earbud in one ear and I consumed a number of podcasts. My first of which, though, um, was The Wicked Library. It was my gateway drug. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, a few months later, you guys were looking for submissions and I thought, hell, why not? <laughs> um, I don't uh, typically write a lot of horror. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm gearing more towards that now because I'm so absorbed in it. In, um, you get your true horror on YouTube and your uh, true crime, which I'm also addicted to. And then, of course, the horror fiction podcast that I can't seem to get enough of mm -hmm. consume on an almost daily basis if there's material to have. Um, and, of course, I read lots of uh, short fiction in that genre. Speculative is, seems to be where I'm heading mostly with my writing now, although I do have a novel. Um, it's I call it dark fantasy. I think there could be some wiggle room uh, in the genres there. I never was able to really nail down a particular genre that I belong in, but I, I kind of think that's what makes fiction more fun, you know, that it, it taps into different parts of life and reality and unreality. Absolutely. The, the novel you're working on, it's uh, the, This Mortal Coil? Yeah, it's that one's completed. Um, nice. I actually had it self-published for a period, but I'm, um, I'm a good writer, but I'm not the, I'm not really good at selling my stuff. I feel kind of bad about it, actually. I mean, I know that artists should get paid for their work, and I put a lot of work into that, and I am working on a sequel called uh, The Black Crow Flies, but um, I've, I've been pursuing more traditional roots with that, still considering returning to self-publishing because I feel a little more adept with Twitter and um, networking and, you know, the biz, you know how it yeah. goes. <laughs> there's a lot that goes into the, even even when you're with a traditional publisher, there's a lot of self-promotion you have to do no matter what. True. And, uh, yeah, people are going to, people just listen to your story. That means they're going to want to read your stories. And it's okay to earn money from making oh, art. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be pursuing more submissions in the, in the market of short pieces. I've got some 
magazines I've been looking at, the ones I've been reading, and uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Have you found, um, I mean, you've, you've already found some success at least by getting onto the Wicked Library, so where else have you been considering submitting to? <laughs> it's funny, um, a lot of this was brought on by uh, a, um, a frequent guest of the Wicked Library, Jessica McHugh. She, um, she posted something about the Wicked Library, that was actually what got me listening to it initially, and then she posted something later about um, an interview with Max Booth III about his book, um, The Nightly Disease, which I recently read. And uh, he runs a company that she is published through called Perpetual Motion Machine Press. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm getting that right. And um, he also runs Dark Moon Digest. So that's, I mean, some of these are, are avenues I would like to pursue. Maybe Nightmare Magazine. Mm-hmm. I read a lot of them. So. I like it, and I like that. Uh, thanks, Jessica McHugh, for bringing more people in. <laughs> oh, yeah, she she's one of your uh, best advertisers, I think. <laughs> I would agree with that, for sure. <laughs> How would you classify the difference between your stories being dark fantasy as opposed to just straight horror? Well, that's a difficult line to draw, just because I recently wrote something also on Medium, which is a place to find me ranting about humanity, etc., mm-hmm. <laughs> and my growing cynicism and verging on nihilism. But um, <laughs> sometimes, just, you know, we live in a dark world sometimes. But I think that the point of that actually being that um, the name of the article is "Why We Need Horror," and um, I not only does it give us an outlet and entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's the blood and guts, there's the more subtle um, speculation or just psychological horror. There are so many different avenues down which you can travel. But one of the most important aspects I think is we confront our fears real and imagined, and we can also use it to confront our world on the whole and the darker aspects of it. Um, issues, social issues, politics even, um, prejudice, we we can tackle those, um, hopefully not in a heavy-handed way, but it gives us, and it gives us an enemy, a face to it, a name, something we can confront head-on, whether we win or lose. Um, It sort of personifies, identifies. I think that's why I'm drawn to horror, is it it kind of allows for us in a way to confront the big, bad, ugly things that are in the world. Like, I personally am drawn to horror that allows for a little bit of hope at the end. It's like, this horrible thing exists, but it's okay, we can kind of overcome it. <laughs> Maybe I it's wish still I there. Could, <laughs> I wish I could write more of that. It seems like I've pinned on a sound note. I know that uh, the other piece that was in a, I guess we'd call it an anthology episode, Last Steps, that. Mm-hmm. had some semblance of hope at the end, but it really, it, it, it came out pretty grim, <laughs> <laughs> which seems to be the, uh, the uh, direction I take in a lot of these shorter pieces for some reason. And it's like I have very little faith left in humanity or something. I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some of the stuff that's happening in the world right now. The world is a dark place, and I think you really captured that with this story, in particular with your last line that just drove it home and 
quite frankly, will really stick with me. And that was, what does the world need with evil when it has so much apathy? That really was a gut punch. It was just like, oh. Because <laughs> yes, I thought that, that story was going to go way more violent and just like in your face. And it was the standing by that really hurt. Yeah, that's uh, that line was with me very near to the beginning of the concept of the story, which began with this image of um, two men sitting on a roof. Um, in their respective regalia for your representation of well, God and the devil. And it's not like that's a secret or anything. <laughs> that's pretty much the, uh, the whole deal here. But um, I just imagined them sitting on the ledge and watching the people below and wagering. Initially, it was a wager of souls of, you know, what was happening and what people would do. And the devil was winning. And that's all I knew about it at the at the very first thought which was maybe a shower thought or a, before you close your eyes or maybe in the car I don't remember exactly when it first popped in there but um, and I just as a uh, as time went on and I just sort of let it sit in my documents because I have several started documents with first lines and maybe a couple paragraphs and then I just get eh. <laughs> <laughs> and I work on I mean um, I'm actually part of a, an indie game right now, writing on it, and I can't talk much about it because it's in its very conceptual state. Well, it's, the concept is there. I can't talk about any of the concepts. There you go. <laughs> no worries. But, Top secret, really awesome story. We'll come back to when it's available. <laughs> right? Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of my, my front burner thing at all times now. Um, it's sort of... Uh, so how much time do you split between the writing for the indie game and your short stories in your novel, respectively? Well, <laughs> gaming gaming takes up a lot of my time, uh, my free time, uh, and that pesky day job. But uh, I, uh, I try to work on it first and foremost, and then when I get stuck, I pick up something else. And uh, that, that story actually, Idle Hands, which the working title of was The Devil's Playground, it was much more overt, and it hadn't. I hadn't gotten to that sort of sympathy for the devil attitude that it ended up adopting. But uh, it sat there for a while, and then I got this opportunity. Um, I got last steps on the Wicked Library, and that was a big deal. And it was like, hey, let's do something more. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew this was an important piece, and as our political climate developed and things started to escalate and continue to escalate and just uh, memes that uh, become propaganda and uh, it's both sides. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to stand on one side or the other, not, in, not anywhere but medium. <laughs> I think anyone who reads my medium is pretty, pretty clear on how I feel about things, but um <laughs> Uh, I, and that was one of the biggest struggles with the story was as it started to develop and I started to get more of this idea of, well, who are, who's the real bad guy? And it for me, it starts to become people. Yeah. <laughs> and of the opening part of that really hit home with me and I really started um, really just hammering away at it after I went and saw the musical Wicked. That's a true story. Nice. I had all those thoughts. <laughs> Um, but, uh, which again, you know, if, if you agree or don't agree, hey, he's the devil. You, you, can, you don't have to pick a side. But, 
yeah, uh, it, it just, uh, that line started to really, it got to the point where as I was working on it, I just tacked that on the end of it and worked my way towards it. Nice. So you started with just a line and then a few experiences and a thought and here came the story. Also, I will say I was singing Wicked before I got on the <laughs> Skype with you because I love that musical. And <laughs> it was just like, ah, I was totally that girl who was pointing out in the crowd once upon a time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced that horror movies have saved lives. Like, I'm convinced that true crime podcasts, horror stories, all that stuff has a, a big effect on all the various paranoias that we should honestly all be well aware of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because if you're, you're like, hmm, maybe I should check my back seat after I didn't lock my car before driving oh, oh. away. Look, I do that every day. <laughs> Are you also someone who checks behind the shower curtain? Because um, well, I am. <laughs> true story. I mean, well, obviously. But when anything we're not talking about that's, I guess, was on the actual podcast is a true story, right? Um, but I, uh, I work at a, uh, at a resort where I um, take care of the public areas and whatnot. Um, basically, it's housekeeping for the entire resort. Uh, but I used to do rooms there, and uh, there would be times that I'd go into a room and the shower curtain would be closed, and I'd be like, "This is it. This is this is the time I find the body." And then I take a deep breath and I open the curtain and of course there's either just a bunch of wet towels or nothing there. Sometimes they put crazy stuff in places, trash and towels and toilets and okay. <laughs> there's horror stories just all around there as well. Some of them much more mild in nature than some of the things <laughs> we've been discussing, but yeah, definitely, definitely. But yeah, that, that, it's a, I'm, I'm on edge most of the time, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I can imagine. And uh, to, in, in my past, I worked on horror films, and to whomever cleaned up the, <laughs> the shower after one particular shoot, uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> there was one shoot I was working on where we just covered multiple people in this thick, awful gore makeup. And then we did our best to clean out the shower afterwards, but it still looked like someone got murdered in there after we were hey, done. Hey, at least, at least you tried, and that's all anyone has. We tried. You, we got rid of the chunks. There's <laughs> people to clean up after you. That's all anyone can expect. <laughs> <laughs> so has that job in any way affected the kind of horror you've started writing? I, you know, honestly, it has very little effect because my interactions with people are generally short. Mm -hmm. and polite and I've never really been treated terribly <laughs> ill <That's good. laughs> which is good um, and we're, we're a good group of people there we uh, we respect each other and uh, it, it really has an effect on everyone's attitude and you know how hard they're willing to work just because you know we're a team and we understand that and we so I mean there's there's a positive uh, sort of uh, reinforcement of uh, more positive definition of humanity, I guess. Mm -hmm. Restoration of faith in it. Um, nothing restores my faith more, though, than when people rescue animals in those little montages on Facebook. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's like, oh, there are people out there that are <laughs> good <laughs> still somehow. Thank you. <laughs> I think I mentioned that because I had written another piece on Medium. Um, and that uh, explores a lot of these uh, different ideas. 
and uh, that was one thing I mentioned there. It's it's a little more uplifting than the videos people do, where they take a, a less fortunate person through a store to buy them groceries or whatever. But they make sure to video it so that they can put it up on Facebook and right. they, you know, get that to go viral. And it's like, I feel like charity is more, in essence, you, it's not for attention. It's not for likes. It's not for um, your own personal promotion or for people to feel good about you. It's, yeah, sure you feel good about yourself, but you, I think true charity happens and the people that don't talk about it, that do it not for accolades of any kind, but just because they genuinely want to assist another person through this dark, uncaring world. Yes. <laughs> it's the person who buys someone a sandwich and then just, you know, says, have a nice day and don't Facebook it or anything. Right, or but, just leave it and maybe don't even expect, you know, yeah. no, to be not thanked. even a thank you. We need more people like that. Yeah, I I try to be charitable. I'm a big door opener, you know. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, <laughs> you know, um, I don't carry cash, so I can't help many people on the street. Yeah, <laughs> <It's>, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I will at least look in my wallet to see if I can find something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Here's one that you answered before, but I would like to uh, readdress. Okay. With idle hands, what was one of the most challenging aspects of writing that piece? It, it's uh, one of the great things I like, especially about horror fiction. And uh, I may be repeating myself here a little bit, but uh, I can't really say this enough. I, I feel like it's a way to confront our feelings and our challenges in the real world. And... Um, all those darker aspects of prejudice and um, just the of sexism, all the various issues that we face. And I feel like it's a good platform. I really love stories that confront those ideas. And um, I really feel like the, scare, the scariest horror for me is the stuff that really affects us in those ways that that makes humanity, that makes the word humanity for me not always be the most positive, positively defined word. Um, because we can be really cruel with war and, and all the big stuff, the genocide, and then the smaller things, just crime and people harming other people, being cruel um, or thoughtless or inconsiderate. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm like to the deepest level, not just like they parked in your space. I mean, obviously, <laughs> bigger issues than that. But uh, I feel like uh, it's almost a responsibility in a sense that if you have the ability to use it in that manner, that you do occasionally confront the occasional social issue. Uh, I know Joyce Carol Oates is a big one on that. And uh, I've read her, her pieces are so visceral and they really bite. Uh, I read... Um, can't remember the name of the story, but it was in an, um, an issue of Nightmare Magazine. Uh, it was when women destroy horror. That was a great issue. And she had such a, it was a literally biting piece because I know there was a rat in it. And it was, <laughs> I mean, it was, but it was a, a hell of a social commentary on uh, sexism and feminism or the lack thereof. And uh, it was a really powerful piece. And that was I, maybe that's part of what uh, inspired me to write something like this. Thank you. That was some really, like, just some big 
thoughts there, and I think I'd actually like to leave our listeners with those big thoughts rattling around in their brains, along with a few others. Specifically, where can people read more uh, written by you, Kelly, and where can they connect with you? Well, I don't exactly have anything officially published yet, but I am working on that. I'm also working on having a, a formal website available, but the best place to find me right now is honestly Twitter because I uh, I sort of drifted away from Facebook. I am still on there and I do occasionally check in on groups and things, but uh, I, you can find me at, at KellyP539, basically anything you want to find me on Twitter, Instagram, um, which is where you'll find my cats mostly. And, uh, and of course, Medium that I've mentioned about 50 times. <laughs> Because I obviously want people to go there. I do plan on putting some fiction pieces up there. Nice. Well, everyone, make sure to go check out Kelly Perkins online. And uh, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us here on the Wicked Library. My pleasure completely. (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. NinthStory.com If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. It'll make you one of the cool kids. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com. That's R-O-D-E dot com. A big thank you to Rode for helping us make this show sound so good. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on the wickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter Facebook, iTunes page, and more. A big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Assistant Librarian Scott Jepson, Aaron McCormick, Aaron Vleck, Ada Lee Terrill, Alex Hernandez, Amy Bate, Andrew Dvorak, Ariel Teague, Anthony Buffundo, Bobby Brooks, Brad Erickson, Bria Green, Brianna Lang, Brian K. Veerling, Cameron Callahan, Chris Brown, Kareen White, Everett Lathrop, Francesca D. Martinez, Gavino Aguayo, Heiko Fasse, Jay Casey, James Powell, Jamie Hardy, Jennifer Troxel, Justy Hilberry, Kathy Thompson, Kelly Perkins, hey, that name sounds familiar, Lisa M. DeVole, Marcel Ward, Melissa Dupi, Michael Lusty Smith, Nick Wang, Paul Schwartz, Preston Waller, Pooh Lee, Raphael Estrada, Robert Light, Seth Williams, Sharon Carrollton, Sophia Rivera, Tamara Reloda, and Yosil Lorenzo. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it easier for the killer to find you in the parking garage. <laughs>